Hello and welcome to another edition of the Pelican Debrief Podcast. I am your host, Brendan Clean, filling in for Nathan Heck for the foreseeable future. Uh, I am joined today by uh, senior NBA editor at fansighted.com, Ian Levy. And uh, he's here to start off a little mini-series I thought of um, with this podcast uh, that sort of might, uh, you know, be a little different, provide some some different coverage of the opponents the Pelicans will be facing this year, uh, focusing on their younger rivals in the league. Um, and the first guy, the first team that I thought of um, for a variety of different reasons was uh, the Indiana Pacers and... Ian is a fan and you know covers the league as a whole, so I feel I felt like he'd be the, the best guy to bring on. Uh, Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Uh, so the first idea that I had um, was just to cover the off-season reviews that you did at Fansided. Um, the Pelicans review sort of focused on how the uh, team. And it's something that I, I mean, you can't really help but notice it um, on, on an individual player basis, but also in the way that they focus their offseason this year as far as completely, completely trading offense for defense. They have, they have to make those decisions. Gentry has to make those decisions in-game, or he has had to in the past, um, to sort of swap out the players. And now they, they did it on a roster level with, you know, subtracting Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon and adding a, a whole plethora of guys who figure to help out on defense. Um I guess just your overall, what, what you saw from more of an outsider's perspective um, with what this team did over the summer. Yeah, I thought that trade-off was pretty striking. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, it, there was sort of such a clear line. You know, they, they let Gordon and Anderson go, guys, you know, who have sort of struggled to stay healthy for them, um, but have also, I think, been, been a part of the problem defensively and one of the reasons that they sort of haven't been able to really um, – really hold things together on the defensive end. Um, so in looking at that, in looking at that trade-off statistically, I used box plus minus, which is a uh, box score derived estimate of a player's net impact per hundred possessions. Um, and Gordon and Anderson uh, last year were both very good offensive players um, and absolutely terrible uh, defensively. And, um, you know, box plus minus is not a perfect measure. It misses some things, um, but it rated both Gordon and Anderson as net negatives last year. So as good as they were offensively, their defense was even worse and sort of cost the Pelicans overall. Um, and then the four main guys that they brought in, I looked at were uh, Langston Galloway, Solomon Hill, Terrence Jones, and Etwan Moore. Um, and for Jones, I, I used a two-year average because um, he, you know, did not play much last year and was injured. Um, and Galloway, Jones and Hill were all above average defenders as rated by box plus minus. Each one more was slightly below. Um, and all four of those guys were rated as uh, offensive negative um, by box plus minus. So it was sort of this really sort of stark dichotomy, like we're going to get rid of our, you know, all offense, no defense guys. And we're willing to, um, you know, we're willing to take some guys who maybe are not huge offensive contributors as long as, um, you know, they can scrap and defend their positions and, and, you know, contribute on that end. Yeah. I I mean, it, it doesn't get more stark as far as what those guys bring to the table than than Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson. And now they're both on the same team, which is a little ridiculous, but they kind of brought those problems to the Rockets too. Um, the uh, 
Yeah, it's it's sort of. I mean, the uh, the obvious takeaway there is that they're going to have to rely on Anthony Davis just a whole hell of a lot to uh, to make all of it work because he's the only you know, especially with Drew Holiday out for the beginning of the season, the only you know obvious contributor on offense um, that you're going to be able to trust right away. You know, Buddy Heald might might become that, but he he's not going to be that right away. Um, and that's sort of honestly that the pace in the offense of the Pelicans as a whole sort of brings me to the first comparison to the Pacers, and it's what you touched on in your um, off-season review of the team for Fansighted, which is um, just how uh, much that they're going to look to, like to what extent they're going to really try to, to push the pace of the team. Um, you kind of looked at what Vogel did with the team for the you know, time he was there, sort of, you know, that created this core and... Um, and then what McMillan has done in his various stops and kind of showed that they might not actually have a, a real case to be made for making that coaching switch purely on the basis of, of pushing the pace. What did you see there? Um, yeah, I think the interesting thing for me with the Pacers is the, the, the sort of the disconnect between what what the team they say they want to be and then how that's sort of reflected in the moves that they make. So, you know, two years ago or a year and a half ago or whatever it was, um, before last season, Bird said, you know, we want to play up-tempo, um, we want to score more points, we want to be more sort of effective and versatile on offense. Um, and maybe some of that was myself and other people maybe reading into his comments a little bit because he didn't explicitly say, you know, we sort of want to play pace and space and we want to sort of run a spread pick and roll attack. But, um that that sort of idea sort of seemed to go hand in hand um and so they didn't have uh you know they didn't make dramatic personnel changes last year um but i thought vogel did a nice job sort of making do uh, making some stylistic changes with you know essentially the same roster um and then going into this year it seemed like they um you know they let vogel go they added nate mcmillan um who had, had been an assistant there by all accounts and a really good job, uh, had been very effective in two previous um, head coaching stints with the Sonics and the Trailblazers. Um, but his teams um, were, were characterized by very efficient, very efficient, 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 offensive, sort of meticulous. And, um, and so there's not a lot of track record for him as a kind of up-tempo, push-the-pace coach. Um you know, that remains to be seen. You know, it's been almost a decade uh, since his uh, time with the Blazers. So, you know, maybe he's learned some new tricks and um, maybe that style of play with those teams was sort of him making the most of what he had as opposed to sort of his natural inclination. Um, but if they were just sort of looking for a coach with experience for that style, it seems like he's not the guy. And then when you look at their offseason, um, they added um, – you know, the, the George Hill for Jeff Teague swap to me feels like an offensive-defensive thing. Uh, Teague has a little more offensive skill. He's a little more of a defensive liability than Hill. I'm not sure Teague's off. I'm not sure what Teague offers on offense is really um, is really going to be that impactful this year, considering they also have Monte Ellis and Rodney Stuckey, two guys who don't really space the floor um, and are going to need sort of need the ball in their hands to be uh, effective. Um, or, you know, contribute. Um, and then adding Thad Young up front, who, um, you know, is a small ball four, um, you know, a pretty good defender, can sort of play in an up-tempo game, but um, is not an outside shooter, not going to offer much in, in terms of spacing. And so um, they sort of had this situation where it struck me like they're they're sort of set up to maybe play, pa uh, play faster without a real plan for what that looks like and 
why, you know, when they get into the half half court, it just seems like it's going to be tough and stagnant. There's not going to be a lot of space. Um, Even starting Miles Turner, you know, he's got an 18-footer, but his range doesn't go out past the three-point line. Monte Ellis is not a three-point shooter either. Um, So then you have, you know, your starting lineup has maybe two three-point shooters and, and Paul George and Jeff Teague and one of them probably has the ball in his hands the majority of the time. So there's, uh, you know, that's not much help in terms of spacing. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I'm not sure how it all fits together. To me, sort of uh, looking from the outside, it seems like they're probably a little worse defensively, maybe have a little more offensive talent, but I'm not sure it sort of lends itself uh, to, to the team that they want to be. And um, So it wouldn't surprise me if they were, um, you know, about the same uh, – you know, win-loss total as they were last year, maybe even slightly worse. Yeah, the thing that, that stands out to me the most in he- hearing what you're saying and also, you know, my my thoughts, just the, the overlap is pretty, it, it just, it's, it's awkward. And um, then the Jefferson signing throws a complete curveball into all of it um, and, and makes all of the fits a, a little less nice um, considering that, you know, you only put, somebody like him onto the court and you know you're going to gain something by having him on the court but that's again only going to be in a in a different role but in the same way of all the guards that they have have corralled probably going to only happen if he's getting the ball pretty consistently and uh so that kind of you know and he's not going to he's not going to be a rim runner or a you know run the floor finish on the the fast break kind of player especially as his age is you know getting getting pretty pretty up there now um so yeah and you know tegan and ellis and stucky all kind of do the same thing um to you know with different style and you know, i've heard rumors and you know mutterings that ellis is gonna he they've asked him to shoot more three-pointers as if you know he can just convert those just because he takes more of them that's not really the answer to any problem um he's most he's been most effective throughout his entire career when he's running around another big guy that can shoot and, you know, I'm thinking directly of the Mavericks, but just, you know, overall a big high powered offensive attack is where he's going to be the best. And they don't really have the tools to, to make that happen. Uh, I guess we'll switch gears a little bit to, um, I was just interested to hear your thoughts, more um, developed thoughts about Buddy Heald. You wrote a piece about him around the draft that I remembered reading and I, I brought it up again to, uh, I'm not going to quiz you on it or anything, but just tell us what you think about Buddy Heald, because I know that's something that Pelicans fans are excited about, and uh, he's pretty polarizing in his own way as far as, you know, what he actually can become, especially getting drafted so high. There's an expectation that he'll he'll become something a lot quicker than I think a lot of people think he, you know, actually will. Well, he's an interesting case because, um, I don't know how I want to put this, but like, um... I think he will be probably a disappointment in terms of overall net value for his pick slot. Um, I think probably, um, I think he probably sort of develops into kind of a one-dimensional shooter. You know, maybe he's able to contribute a little bit on the pick and roll. We'll see how that that sort of turns out. I think defense will always sort of be a struggle for him. But I also see him as a guy who will put up big numbers, and so it may not be a problem for him. Like, 
uh, I would guess that his overall impact this year is not great as a rookie, uh, both sort of thinking about his defensive liabilities and this, the general idea that rookies are not good, even those who you know are going to turn into stars someday. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he puts up you know, 13, 14 points a game on a healthy three-point uh, percentage. And um, I think... Some of those numbers, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to call them empty because I think they're meaningful to the Pelicans and his ability to, to shoot threes and space the floor is going to be really important to them this year. But I think he will perhaps be protected from some criticism because his numbers may look better than sort of his overall impact, if that makes sense. Um, and the interesting thing to me, that piece that you're referencing, um, was sort of about how he's viewed going into the draft because. Uh, you know, Steph Curry's impact was so enormous last year, um, and Peeled is, I think, sort of as close as you were going to get to NBA Curry from uh, a college player in, in some sort of, like, really obvious ways, like a really good three-point shooter, really good high-volume three-point shooter, really good off-the-dribble three-point shooter, all those things that sort of make Steph exceptional, that, that ability to create his own three-point shot without having to rely on his teammates necessarily, um, that ability to sort of make bad three-point shots at a rate where it's still uh, positive for the team. Um, and obviously, Heald has a lot of things that he can't do or doesn't do that Curry does. He's not the penetrator that Curry is. He's not the you know the um, shot creator that Curry is in terms of you know creating shots for his teammates or creating things off the dribble. Um, and probably not even as good a defender as, as Curry maybe was coming into the league. But I just thought it was really interesting. Like if he ended up as maybe a top four pick, I I was thinking of that as as a representation of how um, of how willing teams are to sort of talk themselves into if we if we want to compete with the with the Warriors we have to find our own Stephen Curry and if you're you know if that's a mission that a, that a franchise decides that they need to embark on that they need to find their own Steph Curry healed is probably as close as they're going to get and so or or at least as close as uh, as you're going to get in terms of something you can talk yourself into and so um, I think where he went is probably more reflective of his draft slot um, and so I guess that maybe speaks well to the to the scouting um, the capabilities and the uh, the rationale of, of the teams ahead of him. Um, but yeah, I was thinking, you know, maybe maybe he jumps up to the number three spot or something like that, especially if the Celtics made a trade. Um, and, and yeah, that maybe we see see that as somebody like chasing the next Curry. Well, I mean, yeah, it's funny because I'm glad that the Pelicans get to be that science experiment of a team, but um, I think you really should be finding yourself the next, like, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope or Carl Towns who can actually defend the guy instead of just, we'll match his scoring output because it's generational talent and the Pelicans are dumb if they think that's what's going to happen. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Not that they necessarily do, and the fact that he slid a little compared to what he could have uh, gone if you were just going based on that sort of reputational uh, scouting, it, it, I guess, is, is well. But I, I still think six was high. Not that they really had a whole lot to choose from um, based on what they needed, but uh, just overall six is, I think, a little high from what I expect him to become. Um, but another offseason addition of the Pelicans, who I think we should talk about, um, is Solomon Hill. Obviously, he was a pacer for the first four years of his career. Now he's a Pelican. Uh, didn't really do a ton to... Um, earned the contract that he got until 
the end of last season into the playoffs. Um, what did you see from him, and how shocked were you that he got $12 million a year? <laughs> I was a little shocked. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people attribute uh, Hill's contract to his play during the playoffs, and he you know, hit some threes down the stretch, and, and people sort of think of that as his coming out. Uh, but two years ago, when Paul George was out for the whole season, Hill started – I want to say something like 78 games or something like that for the Pacers. He was in their starting lineup, um, and he played well. He was um, he played mostly on the wing. He played a tough defense. He moved the ball on offense. Couldn't hit a shot. Uh, not a great finisher. Um, his what he offered on offense was was you know filling the break and uh, filling the lane in transition and, and crashing the offensive glass a little bit, um, you know cutting and movement. Um, but I think he looked like much more of a contributor two years ago than he sort of did last year. You know, as with Paul George back and um, you know he he kind of fell out of the rotation. Um, so yeah, I think. I think he's a good defender. I think probably his value is overblown. One of the reasons that, that um, he looked good last year was the Pacers played him a lot at small ball four. Um, I don't know necessarily how viable that is long term. I mean, he's still kind of like 6'5", maybe 6'6". Six, six. Um, and I, I think, um, yeah, I think... I, I, I'm not a believer in his shooting. I think some of that's a mirage. And even if his percentage ticks up, he has a really slow release uh, and a really low release as well. Um, so, you know, that w when you talk about three-point shooting, there's sort of two ideas. There's like the actual them making three-point baskets and the benefit of, of those points, you know, versus the attempt for the offense. And then there's also sort of the implied effect of spacing. And if somebody has a certain three-point, percentage or you know a certain reputation as a shooter um you know how teams play them and how that creates space for other players um so even i think if his three-point percentage ticks up a couple points it may not be as beneficial to the pelicans because of that slow release and of that low release and i think teams are not going to play him you know if he's shooting 35 percent on threes I, I still don't think teams will you know, sort of play him as a 35% uh, three-point shooter, if that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, I think his shooting is not going to create create much space in the Pelicans' offense. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's sort of hard to say because they've never really been able to assemble their sort of full complement of, of players around Anthony Davis. But still, in a vacuum, it seems like the ideal – the ideal offensive situation, at least around Anthony Davis, is um, you know is a, is a spread pick and roll attack, and you know if Holiday is healthy, uh, you know him and uh, him and Davis make a nice pair. Um, you put Buddy Heald on the wing, that's great, and then you know those other two guys. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if Solomon Hill should really be one of those other two guys, you know, out on the floor to make that work. Yeah, I think you're right that the role he'll probably play. Um at the beginning of this season as, as the team sort of figures out what it has is more along the lines of that two years ago um, being more of a distributor, like just a super role player kind of guy where he's going to do a little bit of everything. I mean, we heard on Media Day that, that he was basically promised a starting spot, which, yeah, you're going to pay somebody $12 million. They'll probably be starting. Um, but that that likely means that small forward, since the assumption is that Omar Ashik will be starting also. And, 
yeah, he doesn't he doesn't provide quite the same value, and he's not going to be asked to do the same things if he's playing small forward. So it's uh, it's yeah, and then the the idea that he earned the contract in the playoffs would lead you to believe he will be playing the four because you know that was that was the the value he added for the Pacers in, in the playoffs. But it sort of remains to be seen for me at least what exactly they think he'll be adding. You know what I mean? I think Dante Cunningham as a player that. Um, maybe not a lot of the people around the, the watching basketball know about, but he does a lot of those things. Um, not necessarily the passing and, and ball handling capabilities, but you can they they bought a bunch of that over the off season as well. So it's like if you're going to be, you know, putting Cunningham on the shelf and and replacing him with Hill, you'd like him to be demonstrably better at you know at least one or two things. And I don't necessarily see that he is um, Cunningham has improved in shooting the past two years, um, especially from the corners. And unless Hill's doing that and adding the, the playmaking and all that, I, I don't necessarily agree with, with that decision, especially on a four-year contract. I think they did a good job of, I mean, each one more got, got four years from them as well, but uh, Langston Galloway and Terrence Jones both were on uh, shorter deals, which I, I sort of liked and just seeing what they have and then figuring it out from there. But uh, they've bought into Solomon Hill for better or worse, and he—I I wrote in the off-season that he's a—he's uh, not as young as you know most guys coming off their rookie contract would be because he—he he was in college for a little longer. So he's sort of becoming what what he's going to be already, and and we don't really, you know, know what what those skills he's going to bring are. So yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I think I'm on the same page. That's another important point too, because. Again, like there's sort of this perception that he came out of nowhere last year or he sort of broke out last year or people are thinking about just sort of that small minute sample and saying, you know, well, oh, if he gets regular playing time, you know, he's going to develop. But he, you know, he was a full-time starter for a full year for the Pacers and did not, you know, uh, did not develop much offensively over the course of that year. Or at least his jump shot and playmaking didn't, didn't come along much in that year. So, um yeah, I think he's probably closer to what he is uh, or what he's going to be than, you know, some sort of hypothetical ceiling. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, and you're, and you're right. You're the point you made about him being, uh, he's he's not Draymond Green. He's not a deceptively tall and big guy that's going to be able to slide up a position easily. Um, so he's going to have, he he's not a good rebounder. At least he's not shown himself to be a guy who you can trust to, and, and considering that Davis has always relied on others to create those opportunities for him as well, I'm not sure Hill's going to be that guy, but um, I guess uh, the conversation about Davis as a whole sort of um, plays itself into the Pacers big man, uh, young big man, Miles Turner, um, another guy that maybe most NBA fans don't know a whole lot about. Um, I guess he had a pretty good showing in the playoffs, but that was on the NBA TV special series. So, um, I guess just your your thoughts on him, and then we can we can try to compare the two guys um, as much as we can. I'm really excited about Turner. I uh, was not wild about the Pacers picking him. I um, I don't pay as much attention to the draft as I probably should, um, so I hadn't seen him a ton and was relying a lot on you know other people's scouting reports and stuff and. What I read did not make him sound mobile. Um, it sounded like, um, you know, to, to read those draft express 
scouting reports from two years ago or two summers ago. It made him sound like Roy Hibbert with a jump shot. Um, you know, everything was, he's got range on his jump shot and he's going to be a rim protector. And he's got these questions about his mobility. Um, and so the, the surprise was that he's a lot more agile and mobile, uh, more quick than I thought. Um, he's still not sort of an end to end, uh, not a fast guy end to end. He's not running the floor in transition. Um, but in the half court, he's a lot quicker and a lot, a lot, uh, a lot more agile in space than I was expecting. Um, and you saw that sort of right away in, in summer league, um, you know, two years ago in summer league. Um, so yeah, for people who haven't seen him, um, I think he's, uh, I think he's going to be a really good big man. He's not quite that Porzingis, uh, Jokic Towns tier, uh, but he's a good shop locker. He has good instincts around the basket. He's a good rebounder. Um, you know, he's, he's uh, maybe a little bit bigger uh, or maybe got a little more heft to him than, than Towns or Jokic. Um, and he's got a nice jump shot. He, uh, I don't, he either took no three pointers last year or, you know, like count them on one hand. Yeah. He averaged point uh, two per game. So yeah, they're yeah. like eight or um, something. So I think, the, you know, right now his range maybe tops out at like 18, 19 feet. Uh, but he's really good from there. I think he shot maybe 40, 45% on, on mid range jumpers last year. And he was really consistent as a, like a pick and pop guy. Um, and so I think the thought is that, you know, in a year or two, he's, he's maybe a consistent three point threat, um, which would really, really help their offense. Offense. Whether that happens this year, I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, so he's he's got some work to do offensively in the pick and roll. Um, you know, he was really uh, he had a really clear preference for popping on the pick and roll last year. I mean, he sort of much much more reluctant to dive to the basket. You know, the elbow catching at the elbow was really his comfort zone, um, and he was really quick to launch jumpers uh, from there. Um, so this year would be nice to see him a little more active rolling to the basket. Um, you know, making those passes uh, to the guy in the corner on the short roll. Um, or, you know, even catching the ball at 18 feet and uh, on a pick and pop, making a pump fake, getting his guy in the air and then making something happen sort of in between off of that. Because I think people are really going to play him uh, a little more aggressively this year for that jump shot. Um, and he's got a nice post game, too. It's, it's a little bit simple. Um, and, he, you know, he's got to have some sort of counter moves uh, worked in there. But I think eventually, you know, he's, he's got a nice post game uh, to come along. Um, and then defensively, you know, He's, he's a good shop locker. He's got good instincts, but he's also a second-year big man, and he's got a lot to learn. Um, so I think that's one of the things for the Pacers this year is, is their defense will take a step back, uh, you know, swapping Turner into the starting lineup for Jan Mahinmi, who's now with the Wizards. Um, not so much because Turner is a, uh, a worse uh, or a significantly worse uh, player than Mahinmi, just he doesn't have the experience. Mahinmi was a really good, uh, you know, sort of free safety and sort of holding the defense together last year. And so I think I'll drop off with Mahinmi, but um, I don't know if he, if I had to sort of uh, draw a, a very uh, optimistic and rosy comparison, I'd say maybe he's um, like a LaMarcus Aldridge a couple of years down the road. That's, um, you know, similar sort of physical size, uh, maybe a little bit better defensively, hopefully on his ceiling, but that's, that's kind of his offensive game right now. Um, and it, it seems like that's where it'd be heading post-ups, mid-range jumpers, maybe stretch that range a little bit more. Yeah, what impressed me, because I don't know, I felt like around the league, reading and hearing things, I wasn't watching too much Pacers last year, but um, was just this guy that's going to you know, be a traditional stretch five. 
I think that that he got painted in that way um, a little too much, and he's not really that guy. Maybe in five years he'll be lighting it up from behind that, but I don't really think that that's what his game should be because another thing that was impressive to me is his size. I, I mean, as somebody who uh, watches Anthony Davis and has followed his career, uh, that's been the battle for him for his entire career, and, and into this season he comes into training camp proclaiming a weight gain and a muscle uh, gain, which is probably not even true, but the uh, the the idea that Turner's pretty much ready in that department. Obviously, you're going to be you're going to slim down and, and add some muscle just by becoming an NBA player compared to a freshman at Texas. But um, just as far as frame goes, um, he's he's ready to to bang with those guys. And uh, um, yeah, his defense is pretty. It's fun to watch in the same way that Davis's was early in his career. He has really he has a knack for those weak side blocks that that Davis um, made a little career of in, at Kentucky, but um, I think, yeah, it, it's nitpicking, but I, he does a lot of rotating on defense, like his feet, like he'll turn his body instead of shuffling, you know, um, which is, yeah, that's just a rookie playing playing defense, but... He's, he's really overly aggressive, like he definitely tries to block everything. He, he yeah, runs yeah, toward yeah. the ball handler, and then he just has to watch as he p- runs right past him, yeah, and obviously that stuff will come. Um, but it's it's enviable considering that Davis is still working on it five years later. Um, but I I guess just since he's the the biggest name and the most important thing about the Pelicans, um, obviously this is sort of not a make or break season for Anthony Davis considering he just signed a four year uh, five year extension with the team. But um, just as far as if this is going to work, if these defensive additions are going to work. Um, he'll have to become that guy. Um, on offense, he'll have to to round out the game, and on defense, I think we sort of shortchange what he'll have to do to make all of the other stuff. Uh, they didn't add big defense, you know. They didn't add big guys to protect the rim or or anything like that. It's going to be him, um, just like it's had to be in in years past, but considering that they really have the tools to become a better defensive team, it's really going to rely a lot on, on that development from him. So, um, again, just your, your general thoughts on where he's at um, and what you think has to be done to make it, to get it where it needs to be, whether um, some you know scouting thing or just a big-picture idea of, of seeing the team play and struggle on that end for so long. I mean, it's hard because he's always... Um... You know, the, the lineups and the rotations that are always different because he's had so, so, you know, they, they've had so many injuries. That you don't think Ryan Anderson out. maximizes his uh, defensive potential? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, he, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a bunch of issues. Like he, uh, you know, hasn't played with great defensive players, you know, playing next to Anderson, playing with Eric Gordon, um, you know, that's, that's uh, Tyreek Evans. Clearly, like, that's been a, an issue. Um, but also, like, that it's just guys in and out of the lineup all the time. I mean, there has just not been much consistency. Um, it would be interesting to look at, like, the, uh, and the, the, like the spans, like the, the longest number of, uh, you know, if you look at five-man units, like the, the longest uninterrupted stretches that he's been able to play with like the safe, same five-man unit, um, you know, without somebody being hurt um, or, you know, somebody uh, getting swapped in or out. Um, so I think that's, that's clearly a thing. I mean, he has to do different things when he plays with Ryan Anderson than he does with, you know, some of their other bigs. And it's just always in and out and changing. So... Um, I think having 
better and more aggressive perimeter defenders will help this year, I think would be much more important if they're healthy. Like, um, I, I think, you know, if Solomon Hill and Langston Galloway and, um, in Etwan Moore can all play 78 games this year, that will be much more important than, you know, the, 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 the defensive upgrade between them and Eric Gordon or them and Drew Holiday or them and Tyreek Evans or whatever it is. Um, I think that consistency is really important. It will let him sort of settle into a role that, you know, has maybe felt like it's always changing under him. Um, but I think they also need him to be much more, um, they need him to be much more active and, and uh, maybe active is not the right word, but they, they need him to lead the defense. They need him to sort of take control of the defense, to be assertive and to, to make um, stopping the opponent on each possession, his responsibility. You know, he should see these other four guys as his, I don't know how this works from a chemistry standpoint, but he should see these other guys as like his assistants or, you know, like his, um, you know, his, his helpers, it's, it's his job to keep the other team from scoring. And it's his job to make sure that Solomon Hill is where he's supposed to be. And Langston Galloway is where he's supposed to be, but it's, you know, it's ultimately Davis's responsibility. Um, and I, you know, that's a thing that I'm not totally sure how much it's, it's a real effect or how much it's a mirage, but I think you often see young players who, who, um, either come in with a defensive reputation or have, um, you know, sort of make their mark early with defense. And once they get a little taste of that stardom and get a little sort of freedom on offense, the defense wanes. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, Paul George has held up pretty well, but he also, you know, he's still a great two-way player, but he also clearly does not exert as much effort on defense as he did you know, his first three years in the league when he was not an offensive star, he was not carrying the load for that team. Well, and it uh, almost makes you wonder if uh, throwing Davis into the fire like they're going to have to do this season and have him uh, shoulder more of a load on both ends is sort of, I mean, it's along the lines of what uh, George had to do. Obviously, he had uh, older veterans on the team with him when they're, you know, in their Eastern Conference Finals runs of a couple years ago. But the past couple years since, he's really been the guy and... Uh, face the same sort of uh, changes that Davis has um, as far as losing the talent and sort of being forced to... Uh, and we've heard a lot from, from Media Day and quotes around the preseason and whatever that he's been like almost specifically asked to take on a, a bigger role as far as you know leadership in air quotes, whatever that means. But I think it can have a tangible effect on, on the defense specifically. That's where I've been going with it. All, uh, all of you know September and October, as we've heard more, is that has to be that has to be the place where it manifests itself for anything to go well. I mean, I think of him, and I'm the most optimistic way as as a KG type of player, and that's the I mean that that obviously is a 20 year 20 years away from becoming true, but um, he's that's the that's the missing link is that. You know, you watch a player like Kevin Garnett who impacts the, the game on defense the way that he did, and so much of it is a result of owning, like you're saying, making that stop just his entire responsibility, like owning it to the you know the fullest extent. So, and we we haven't seen anything like that from Davis, whether whether the defense has gone you know well or or poorly during any given season. So, um, I'm. It might be sort of like pop psychology, but there's, um, 
I think there's guys who have this mindset like, I'm going to try and stop you, but if I don't, that's all right because I'll score on you on the other end. You know, like uh, not to, you know, sort of put myself in James Harden's head, but I sort of imagine that dialogue. Like, I've been thinking about James Harden the whole time you've been for about 10 minutes now, so we just, I'm glad you said it. Yeah, like, I, you know, I'd like to stop you. I, I will try, but if it doesn't, like, that, that, um, that somewhere in there, there's this idea that getting stops does not getting stops doesn't necessarily mean we won't win. That because I can get it back at the other end, you know, we only need a few stops because our offense is so good and I'm so good on offense. Uh, and I think, uh, it seems like Davis has blossomed so much offensively that there may be some of that sort of lurking out there, you know, like, well, we didn't get him this time, but I'm going to go down and score on the other end and that'll sort of balance it out. And yeah, I think he needs to take defense personally at at sort of a different level. And, you know, he doesn't have to be Kevin Garnett. He doesn't have to be, you know, headbutting the the basket support and stuff like that, but, um, you know, blocking every shot that comes after the whistle. But um, it does seem like he's, for all his defensive talent, it does seem like he's just a piece of the machine. And I think he needs to think of himself as the machine. Like he is, he is what makes their offense work. And I think he needs to think of himself as what makes their defense work too. Um, and again, I'm just projecting. I have no idea what he actually thinks. About, no, but you know, I think or, it's. Or I mean, he's a player himself, that. But, that's how it reflects when I watch, you know, it seems like, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the guys on defense and he needs to be the guy. Yeah. He's a player where he, I mean, he wears his heart on his sleeve to an extent. He's definitely a guy that you can tell how the game's going and how he's feeling um, just by sort of paying attention to how he's acting on the court. So I, I definitely don't think that's too far-fetched. Obviously we, we can't know, but um, yeah, I think um, that is, I mean, we got a lot into everything that I wanted to cover, um, I guess just for fun's sake, we might as well, um, go for season projection, just record. We don't need to do standings and playoff seedings or anything, but just, um, compared to how they did last year, obviously the Pelican season was, uh, pretty much a disaster. Um, and then the Pacers would probably figure to be taking a, a little bit of a step back this year, um, considering that they didn't do a whole ton to improve and lost some, you know, uh, Jan Mahimi, whose development was a pretty big key to what they were able to do last year and replacing him with a, a young player like that. So, um, yeah, just take it away. Uh, I think the Pacers, like I said, are probably about the same place. I think they finish mid-40s, 45, 46 uh, wins. feels about right to me. Um, I think the Western Conference, uh, I think that as top-heavy as it still feels with the Warriors, I don't think they're chasing 73 again this year. So I think they're probably in the mid-60s. I think San Antonio not only is not as good as they were last year, I think also – they don't have um, they don't have any uh, illusions about uh, stealing the number one seed from Golden State, and so I don't think they have to push for that at all. So I think they're maybe not even a sixty win team this year. Um, and Oklahoma City, I think you know probably drops out uh, you know down to fifty or, or slightly below. Um, so I think there's a lot of extra wins to be had in the Western Conference just from from those three at the top. Um, so I would imagine New Orleans as as you know could pick up six seven eight wins, something like that, finish in the high 30s. Um, but I think they're probably not 
probably not going to finish above 500, uh, 500, and I would be I'd be pretty surprised if they made the playoffs. I think there's a few teams, uh, you know, in that chase for the last playoff spot. I think there's probably a few teams ahead of them, um, you know. But but hopefully, it, it, I think there's plenty of ways for them to um, miss the playoffs and still have it feel like a successful season. I think they're. Um, I think they're at a talent deficit against some of those other teams. Um, but if the defense is a lot better, if Davis is healthy, uh, if some of the new parts sort of feel right, if, if Heald is knocking down three-pointers and, and sort of, uh, you know, giving reasons for optimism, um, I think uh, just sort of feeling like the, the momentum's going back in the other direction, I think that it could feel like a success even if they're, you know, if they're not in the playoffs. Well, I agree, but I don't think that that's what the fans wanted to hear. Um, but no, I think you're right, and I think that Sorry, fans. <laughs> I think seeing a competitive season and improvement from the guys that we spent money and draft capital on will be um, more impressive and exciting than getting swept by the Warriors again or something. Um, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna crack the real contender level anywhere near this season. So there's no reason to to try that hard to to crack in. Um, well, thank you. That was that was it. Um, I think that yeah, I think that the Turner AD stuff is a lot more interesting than I wish that they could play each other more because I think that they it, it's more fun to watch them. I, I think Towns and Davis are a little bit different as far as their styles and whatever, but Turner and and Davis, I just the comparisons are easy and and uh, the fact that they're sort of the their franchise's relative. Uh, upward momentum is hinging on them a little bit thought i thought it'd be a little interesting to talk about so i appreciate you coming on and um for pelican debrief podcast listeners we'll be back trying to do one or two a week until the season talk to some more uh fans and coverers of young teams so i hope you'll continue to tune in Quiet, but the only ass to intrigue. And she's the kind of girl that you bring it home. That booty looking so nice like provolone.